0: Now, now, I know you're a doctor, but but what? Or what? Where do you work? What do you actually do? Have you been um, quite exposed to the COVID
1: thing? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, um, up until um, up until April, uh, I was uh, what's called out of program. So I'm I'm a medical registrar, and I came out of program, which means I came out of my training post for a couple of years to do some research. Um, but when the pandemic came to the uk uh, i offered to come back onto the yeah front line i guess so wow. my role as a medical registrar is um for all those patients who come in either referred in by gp or come in through the front door in a and e uh, and have a medical problem which covid falls under uh, they get referred to us and as the medical registrar and the most senior doctor in the hospital out of hours um Usually there's a consultant who can be contacted. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so, um, so yeah, seeing people in A&E and um, assessing them and starting, hopefully making a diagnosis and treating and uh, making decisions. Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Yeah, you're right. That kind of is a little bit frontline then really, isn't it?
0: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think we've all had kind of glimpses of this from what we've seen on the news, but what would you say the impact was for both you and, and for other staff of um, COVID at the beginning of the pandemic?
1: So, um, so certainly for me it was a massive change because um, because – before that i'd been kind of mainly office based doing a little bit of endoscopy which is because i am a gastroenterology trainee so that's my specialty um but 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 limited kind of ward work or a&e work anything like that um so that so that was a big change but of course there was an awful lot of uncertainty at the time uh, i yeah. was put onto what was called the hot stream so anyone suspected of having covid this was in an attempt to try and not mix patients, of course. So clinical teams would be either solely looking after people suspected as COVID and other clinical teams would be only looking after people who was, uh, people thought didn't have COVID. The challenge with that, of course, is that we only learnt about the taste and smell bit of COVID towards the, the, the latter part of, of the last eight months, I guess and um so so anybody with a temperature was potentially uh somebody with covid yeah um and that i mean that's that's a big uncertainty that continues is is how many people have unfortunately caught covid in hospitals because we just didn't know what they I had recognized yeah um and uh and and so so that that was there the rotor got more intense so we talk about one in 14 one in 16 these are how many night shifts you do wow. uh, these kind of things but a, a big change was that all of the elective work stopped so all you know hip operations or outpatient clinics became teleconferences so you'd either speak to people via a zoom type platform or just over the telephone Uh, and a lot of those got delayed as well so I remember doing a night shift at Good Hope Hospital and they decided to all of so we had dermatology consultants and allergy consultants people who spend most of their time sitting in a clinic talking to people about their rashes yeah now coming in and joining the what we call the acute take so seeing critically ill patients on the front line of course for them that that is a massive shift possibly not done anything like that for 20 years and yeah back onto the front line so a a lot of challenges um and for for doctors I guess that that was a big change for many um for me that my my normal day job is medicine so i you know heart attacks and pneumonias and things like that that that's that was my day-to-day job before all of this so it wasn't you know a massive change in those in terms of seeing very unwell patients um but i know working in gastroenterology and being involved in the bowel cancer screening program a lot of our specialist nurses got drafted away from that role of being an advocate for patients and talking through very difficult situations and being put into the intensive care unit. Uh, And, you know, as a nurse who's decided to go down the route of looking after patients who are coming in for a colonoscopy and then talking them through what it means if a cancer is found. So then being asked to, manage a patient who's been intubated and blood pressures falling and things like that and that was a massive massive stress on on some colleagues um and and for one in particular um uh had had a had a tragic impact Wow! um wow. so uh you know and around around that time as well we were hearing you know 40 year old a and E consultants passing away from COVID. It, it 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 was it was it was devastating for all age groups, and uh, you know, really brought it home to the medical workforce how dangerous this virus was.
0: Yeah. Tom,
1: yeah. what? <laughs> Just on behalf of all of that,
0: thank you for for, for for literally standing in that, that that front line, being that that first port of call for for people that you knew were probably going to be be suffering with this. We're, we're looking at this this whole thing of, of instability and uncertainty this this morning. So you've you've talked us through a little bit of, of kind of like your experience. Uh, um, uh, of that time but 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 is, is there anything else around your your experience of that 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 uncertainty and the change that it that it brought um during that time
1: um so for, for me personally
0: yeah
1: so um uh so i came back onto the rotor, and then c- kind of within a couple of days sarah took the kids and left <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, and so uh, she went down to Somerset, which is where Sarah's parents live, and spent the following six and a half weeks down there. So um, that, again, was was uh, a massive uncertainty, because if you remember, then everything was locked down. And I know we've had other kind of lockdowns in the tears, but that was very much a don't leave your home unless it's absolutely essential. Yeah. Um, as i said i said about the the kind of not knowing whether somebody had covid or not but it was only later in the pandemic we realized people could be asymptomatic in carriers yeah yeah uh, i was told in the very early days don't test people unless you're absolutely certain they have it and you know now you know hundreds of thousands of people are getting tested every day in in april and march i was being told you can test them, but even in hospital, you won't get a response for about a week as to whether they they have it or not because of testing delays. Yeah, yeah. um, So there was huge amounts of uncertainty, both in hospital, but also when Sarah and the kids would be able to come back, whether it would be safe to come back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a consultant colleague whose wife was going through chemotherapy and he spent three months by himself in a hotel because he didn't want to expose a family member who was at, you know, immunosuppressed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: From, 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 from that. And uh, so, uh, you know, I read a lot around what was going on. There was huge amounts of misinformation about COVID, what it meant. There was, you'll remember at the beginning, we talked about, did, did it matter, you know, if, if, if if you had a, a big viral dose to, yeah. to to your face, did that matter? We were being told that face masks might make you more at risk because you'd be touching your face a lot. Um, and uh, so there was, you know, it, it was... Yeah, just, just to see, yeah. A lot a of it's a mix of it. Yeah, and I I, I'm sure people on in the congregation here we'll we'll be thinking that this eight months has been a really very long time but for me i guess going into hospital actually my workload increasing um it's all gone by as a bit of a blur um and um yeah so so it's been a challenge actually to think back over what what all the secrets yeah where it's gone to yeah absolutely yeah. so what, what uh, one thing that,
0: that intrigues me is, is what difference would you say your faith has made during these months
1: so a, a massive difference um, a massive difference and I, I I think you know you were talking about uh, the the anchor of hope at the beginning of of the service, and that 's a, a a line from Hebrews and actually over Sarah and I are doing an advent. Um, kind of Bible study and one of the verses was from that. And I did did think, you know, I'm seeing one of the massive challenges that we had was that no visitors were allowed into hospital.
0: Yeah.
1: And we were having people who were critically ill and we were having to make decisions about what would be in their best interests. Um, And sometimes things like intensive care um, or ventilation, would not have been in best interests. It would have caused more harm than good. And to have those discussions over the phone to people who knew that they would not be allowed to come in and see their loved ones at yeah. that hardest time, you really felt like you were doing—you know—you were more than just their medical professional. You were—you were their family at that time. And I, yeah. I think being, or or if you know, you were being. The advocate for their family being that person there and I, I i think you know having faith i think carried carried me along in those times mm-hmm. where you were having those discussions yeah. and knowing that this was not it that there was more that there was somebody there standing behind that, that you were you were there yeah but there was more than just you there yeah you were you yeah carried along and and may, maybe you know you were that you were that anchor of hope for them and um and i i think you, you know that i i think also being renewed each day by the knowledge that you know yesterday was hard but jesus is giving me this strength yeah, back yeah. Then, and that a lot of the uh, you know, uh, a lot of bleak times. Um yeah. but actually Jesus is always at the centre of there. And um
0: yeah. I, 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 I love that. I mean I, I I don't have to deal with half the things that that you do, but that, that, that sense of when you when you reach the moment of I know I just I, I, I can't do this. I, I don't have the strength, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have um yeah, those those types to be leaning on Jesus is um yeah, just that. Love that. Thank you. Hiya. Hello. Um, uh, uh, thank you for uh, joining us, Cara, um, and being uh, willing to share a little bit of your story. Now, um, uh, again, I, I know you're a teacher, but can you tell us a little bit about the kind of school that you work in?
2: Uh, yeah, so I'm a teacher in a special needs school um, in Solihull. So it's a special school that's for primary and secondary
0: children. Okay. And and do you have a niche within that or do you have to cover the whole gambit?
2: Yeah, it's sort of covering everything. So my class are a a real range. So um, even within age range, I've got – last year I had um, year two to year six within my class um, and different disabilities, Um, so ADHD, autism, uh, things that people might not have heard of, like NF1, um, lots of different, yeah, disabilities.
0: Amazing. Um, yeah, I just just can't even imagine what a, a, a normal day looks like, let alone <laughs> what a, a day during these last few months have looked uh, look like. So um, what were some of the challenges that you and your colleagues were facing in managing the pandemic?
2: I think initially it was just the suddenness of it all. And um, so kind of when <laughs> we're thinking back to March, um so we were, I think schools are the last thing to close in the end. And whilst we did have kind of an inkling that that was coming, we found out when Boris told everybody else. Um, so I think that was really difficult. And our children, particularly um, in special schools, find transitions and changes really yeah. tricky. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and we often have to do a lot of pre tutoring. Um, and, at, you know, even with for Christmas, you do a lot. <laughs> like weeks beforehand to prepare um, because it's too much and yeah. so that kind of just suddenness of oh right we're closing and we're not actually sure when we're coming back um, wow. yeah that was really tricky and then um, during the time kind of in lockdown mm. it was just making sure that our families are safe and our children were well and um, again that's quite tricky doing it over a screen or over the phone yeah. um, A lot of the children that I work with have communication difficulties. Um, So, without the right support, they're kind of like their symbols, and we use Makaton signs.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: It's really hard to find out how they're actually doing. Um, Mm. And we would do phone calls home, and in the end, it it felt like actually we were just there as a listening ear. It wasn't, sometimes it wasn't actually about the children, it was supporting the mums and dads, and nans and granddads, and just being there to listen. Mm. Um, and then we also carried on working in school as well. And um, so managing one-way systems, trying to encourage our children to keep space, which is, <laughs> is really hard work. <laughs> um, yeah. And just keeping them separated. And we we changed timetables. They looked different, things that we were sending home, avoiding people who we would ordinarily have spent time with. So our, because our school is primary and secondary, um, we have split into bubble groups, and that word "bubble" is going to be the the thing of twenty twenty. <laughs> um,
0: we'll and, never have the same meaning again.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and so we haven't been able to um, spend time with those staff members and the children that we would have seen in the playground, and um, so that's all changed as well. But you know, I actually feel really blessed that um, I've worked at a school that has a really kind of team working attitude. Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: Wow, that is just so much stuff that never appeared in a job description 12 months ago. (laughs) No. Wow, amazing. Thank you, Carl. So uh, you talked a little bit about it, but how have the children um, handled all this change and uncertainty that that COVID's brought?
2: You know what, actually, they've handled it surprisingly well. Um, I think something you know most teachers and teaching staff knew before but have know even more is that children are so resilient
0: sure. um,
2: and we've done a lot around well-being and when since we've come back in September and had kind of the face-to-face um teaching again it's all been about our well-being and supporting our mental health and yeah. um, you know a lot of our children as well find okay that happened shut the door on that, we're back to school. That's normal now. <laughs> um, so it's just making sure we do things like zones of regulation, which is uh, different colours, and the children pick which colour zone they're in. And we talk about how we're feeling and that every emotion is an is an OK emotion. So that's been really kind of important and beneficial. Um, and I think, actually, the kids are just glad to be around people again mm-hmm. <laughs> and playing with their friends on the playground. Um, I do have one child in my class that... He always asks me, I think I, I get it at least once a day, that when is when is COVID going away?
0: <laughs>
2: um I mean it's just being really honest and saying, you know what, I I'm not sure, but we're just doing the best we can. We'll keep washing our hands. Um I don't I don't think you yeah. know getting kids to wash their hands and sing happy birthday, that's been the highlight. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, they, they have coped really well. Um, yeah. They've That's amazing. us?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It uh, makes me a little bit jealous. I want to be in one of your lessons sometime. <laughs> it sounds a lot of fun. So, um, same question that I asked Don actually to, to finish with. What what difference would you say your faith has made during these months?
2: I think, like Don was saying, just a massive difference. I think I. I have still felt really hopeful, um, and that might sound really silly, but mm. even in kind of the darkest points, um, just that God brings hope and light and life, and just being able to hold on to that. Yeah. Um, I pray for my class every day, and that's also helped me to know that they're in God's hands, that kind of the worry that I have over them
0: yeah.
2: is upholding them and God is loving them. Um, and just, yeah, that reminder that God is with us, that's been really important. Um, My name is Bernice. Um, It's lovely
3: to see you if you're new and visiting here today. Um, It's really lovely to have you here. Um, I'm going to just use 13 images um, to talk to you about uh, kind of perhaps some thoughts and views over this year and what's happened, um, and and as we know, uh, I think the word of probably today and yesterday is instability. Um, the the sort of the feeling that the rules can change at any moment. Um, I think last year was probably one of the most unstable and unpredictable ones of my life, and I'm sure yours possibly too. Um, The things that I was looking forward to that I would have said were immovable, um, holidays, gigs, theatre performances. Uh, But also I think the things I miss most, having people over for meals, hugs, the everyday stuff, And instead, since March, these are probably some of the images that you would uh, be very used to seeing face masks, people seeing their relatives, you know, through perspex plastic um, and all of us living under this constant cloud of getting a virus that for some would be unpleasant and obviously for others life threatening. Um, and for others, yet others, the year is involved in with bereavement, postponed health treatments, loss of job or money. Um, you know, it has been quite a year. Earthquake. So all those things we thought that were concrete beneath our feet have been swept away. Have you ever lived to an earthquake here in the UK? They're generally quite mild. Um, but abroad, you might see something like this. And I think in life, you you can expect certain things to be reliable. Breathing oxygen, strictly being on at Christmas. Thank goodness that was all well. Buying food and toilet roll in the supermarket. And yet there's been very little that we've been able to rely on. I really don't like flying, which is a good thing at the moment with not many flights going on, but um, I I guess I feel wobbly and anxious about it, even though driving doesn't bother me at all. And I think all of that is related to control. I feel like I'm in control driving, which is really a fallacy. Nothing is safe. Nothing is 100% safe. There is risk around us all the time in the world. Have a think. What have you most relied on over the last few months? Email. (laughs) Well, we have had scientists predicting that the world would face a plague at some point, they just weren't sure when. And through history we have seen a cycle of issues for humankind. War, civil unrest, power struggles, slavery, injustice, the list goes on. And God did send us a message. Now nowadays that would come in form of an email. But in those days, it was often a person who had message for somebody about the future. And we call these people prophets. Um, King Ahaz was one of those people in the Bible who was told a message by God. And we're told in the Bible that he and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They were scared. They were worried. They were anxious. And God says to him, ask me for a sign. But he refuses to ask. But God still sends him a message from a person named Isaiah. Manger. The message was, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew name for God, meaning God with us. And at the time, I guess people then would have thought, well, somebody will be born soon. who will sort everything out. They'll be a powerful person and they'll sort all these things out. But we now know that Emmanuel, which means God with us, God became one of us. He didn't send an angel. He sent himself. God sent flesh and blood to bring peace in the midst of our unstable and messy life. He was not distant from humankind and our situations, but very much in the midst pregnant. We are introduced in the Bible to a couple named Mary and Joseph who had come to return to Bethlehem because she was pregnant because it was due to a census that was called and everybody had to return to the town of their birth. So they went from Nazareth to Bethlehem about 80 miles away and they weren't your everyday couple because both of them had been visited by an angel who told them that these things were going to happen but you can imagine Mary kind of going, I'm heavily pregnant, we're gonna to have to make a long journey, it'll take about a week, we don't know where we're gonna stay, and this baby's gonna arrive at some point. At the same at that time they must have both doubted what those angels would have said, and must have thought, What on earth is going on? And when they did get to Bethlehem, they couldn't find anywhere to stay. Manger picture number two. They eventually found somewhere warm where animals were kept and fed from a, a manger. Um, you know, uh, and Mary wrapped him uh, sn- snugly in tight strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. Well, this little baby who was named Jesus doesn't look much like a powerful ruler who's going to change the world. He looks like us, crying, looking for food in very humble circumstances. A baby in a wooden manger that we see on Christmas cards, decorations, and we sing about in carols. How is this baby going to change the world? Cross. Well, some of us know the end of the story. Jesus went from being kept safe by the wood of the manger to the cruelty of the wood of the cross. And we know that Jesus came to bring us hope and peace and freedom that Dom and Cara and uh, the Belchers have talked about today. And we may never be able to explain the mystery of the cross and crucifixion. But I believe that Jesus survived death and therefore gives us the chance to live in freedom now and gives us hope for what happens after death. More of that story at Easter. Peace. How does this help you and me now in the middle of a metaphorical earthquake in our lives? Where is our sense of peace in the middle of social distancing at the moment? I know that as someone who is loved and known by Jesus, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in what we're going through at the moment and what we might face over the next few months. Emmanuel, God knows what we think and feel because he has lived as I live. Peace in the middle of instability. The Bible says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Hope. God gives us the ultimate control and there will be, sorry, God does have the ultimate control and there will be an ultimate good ending. God has a plan and that gives me hope in the same way that he has given people for hundreds and thousands of years hope. Um, And I'm not alone in that. I'm not anxious about my death, which I can't control. Because I know that the end of my story won't be the end of the story. I believe hope is much more than just being optimistic. Optimism is thinking positively about the future, not knowing the outcome. Whereas I believe the hope in Jesus can be uh, something that we can rely on. In the Bible, there is a promise for us all. I am leaving you with a gift, Jesus says peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The Big Story We are part of a much bigger story, an author and creator who is involved intimately in our lives. I believe ultimately everything will work out because I know the author of that story and I have evidence that lots of people also know him too. Stories of trouble, strife, of hope and peace have been passed on through generations and what is also passed on is a faithful God who can be relied on in the middle of it all. Black Lives Matter. So where do we see peace in the middle of the overwhelming issues of today? Black Lives Matter, Brexit, deal or no deal, illness, job loss, injustice, the online vitriol we see, the evil around us every day. It can seem that good is squashed by evil. And yet Jesus inspires me to have peace in the midst of all these seemingly complex situations. Jesus knows all these issues and has lived through injustice, unfairness, cruelty, and betrayal. In the midst of the worst of situations, I believe the darkness will never have the upper hand. There is always a light, however small. Captain Tom, for me, he epitomized hope for us. What an example, at the age of 99, walking laps of his garden, and raising 33 million for NHS charities. He was a message of hope, that even when things are tough, he still put his best foot forward. And I believe that God gives us that hope. And if we can hope and see the potential for a better future, then I believe that that is achievable and can be hoped for. Good news. I hope that for all of us in two thousand and twenty. 21, we have good news that will bring hope for our health and well-being, for the vaccination, for deaths and infections to decrease, for us to have freedom in our lives again. I pray that in the midst of the instability of life, we would rely on the stability of our creator, who created the heavens and earth, and will always be our firm foundation. And the final picture, you are loved. I wish you peace for Christmas, even if you can't physically be with your loved ones. I wish you peace for for uh, us to recognise that our loved ones are the most important thing and to cherish those relationships. I pray for internal peace in the midst of the wobbles, for God's comfort and love for those who are frightened, anxious or struggling with mental health. I pray ultimately that we will come to know Jesus as a friend who loves you as he became a person to truly know us, not just as a friend, but as our Prince of Peace.